Hello and welcome to Healthline 3. I'm Terry Simmons. Today we're speaking with board certified rheumatologist Dr. Robert E. Goodman of the Arthritis and Rheumatology Clinic right here in Shreveport. And today we're talking about giant cell arteritis. Before we get started, Dr. Goodman will give an overview of giant cell arteritis. And for the first 10 minutes of this simulcast, following that, call us with any questions you may have about this condition using the number that you'll later see across the bottom of your screen and throughout the show. And that number is 318 219-4569. Hello, Dr. Goodman. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Terry. Great to be with you. Uh, again, let's just go ahead and talk about giant cell arteritis and, and what that means, because it is a form of vasculitis, right? And can we give a quick overview of both of those? Sure, we can. Um, uh, most of the time, when uh, the public is exposed to autoimmune diseases, the most common autoimmune disease is rheumatoid arthritis. And in that situation, uh, the immune system makes a mistake and attacks the joints, causing an arthritis. But occasionally, less commonly, but occasionally, um, the immune system can make a mistake and attack the lining of the arteries and call, cause an arteritis, uh, or this may be in a family of diseases called vasculitis. So vasculitis means inflammation of the blood vessels, and arteritis is inflammation of the blood vessels that are specifically the arteries that carry the blood away from the heart to the periphery. And the disease we're talking about today is called giant cell arteritis. Um, and that's because uh, in, in pathology slides, when pathologists would look at biopsy material of these inflamed arteries, they would see what they would describe as multinucleated giant cells, which are the white blood cells coming together or coalescing and causing this inflammatory response. So uh, this disease is called giant cell arteritis. It's also called temporal arteritis because a lot of times it will affect the temples on the side of the head and neck. It can also affect the joint, uh, the uh, arteries to the mouth and the jaw and tongue and cause people to feel uh, pain in their jaw. They may feel pain in their tongue with talking. Uh, they may feel pain in their jaw with chewing. But sometimes they may have problems where the blood flow to the eyes is being cut off. And unfortunately, if that happens for very long, a person could have blindness in one eye or the blood flow to the brain is cut off. And so that could cause a stroke. So. Um, arteritis um, is a form of inflammation of the arteries, uh, autoimmune diseases, and we're talking about giant cell arteritis, which is the most common uh, arteritis or uh, in the subset of vasculitis. Okay, and you spoke a little bit about what is really going on there with the giant cell arteritis. Are there other characteristics of this condition? Well, the other characteristics of this condition are that it tends to occur uh, in uh, our older individuals. The, uh, uh, there have hardly been any cases described in anyone under the age of 50. The age of 72 is sort of an average age, and I see uh, many patients in their 80s and 90s that get giant cell arteritis. Um, it um, also tends to occur in women a little bit more than men, about two, wom uh, two women for every one man gets this disease. It tends to occur in people that have a northern European background, Scandinavian descent, um, and it was described first in Minnesota um, 
uh, by, at the Mayo Clinic, and they were seeing a lot of patients, and they have a lot of patients who are settlers from uh, uh, Germany and from uh, Sweden and Norway uh, in Minnesota, and they tended to notice this disease in those patients. Okay, and with those numbers and knowing all of that, would you consider this common, and do you see it much in our area here? Well, I do see it in our area here. Um, uh, it has a companion disease called uh, polymyalgia rheumatica. Polymyalgia rheumatica occurs in about one person in about 500 to one person in 800, and uh, giant cell arteritis is about six times less common, so we're talking about maybe one person in 3,000. But you might, you'd be amazed if you go to a large church and there's somebody on a prayer list uh, that they may be having some symptoms and you find out later they had giant cell arteritis. So it is common enough that the patients that suffer from this disease say, let's get the word out so that other people will know about this disease and have it at least so of an emergency room doctor or of a, um, uh, an ophthalmologist or of a doctor that deals with head and neck problems uh, senses some symptoms that this just seems a little bit different from my traditional uh, uh, ear, nose, and throat problem or my uh, traditional head and neck problem or uh, vision problem that, um, that we start thinking about giant cell arteritis because these very uh, programs, Terry, have um, alerted, and I can think of a, a lady who is actually in Monroe, and she um, had, was aware of these uh, diseases, and uh, she had seen me many years ago in the past, and then uh, this disease refreshed her memory. She went into her eye doctor in Monroe. She was having some symptoms, and she say, oh, by the way, Dr. Goodman talked to me about maybe I could get this disease in the future because I had some clinical uh, indications of getting it and she starts describing the disease and the ophthalmologist said oh my gosh let's take this seriously let's put you in the hospital let's put you on the IV medicines let's get a temporal artery biopsy they did she preserved her vision the temporal artery biopsy came back showing these multi-nucleated giant cells um, and um, her vision that was being compromised came back to normal, um, and um, then they, uh, then the ophthalmologist in Monroe sent her back to see me in Shreveport, and then we put her on some follow-up medications, and I still see her to this day. Um, she is a retired RN and is very grateful that we were able to discover this. But, but there are, uh, you know, uh, not hundreds of patients with this disease, but there are certainly dozens of patients with this disease um, in, in the Arclitex that I treat, and I know other rheumatologists in Shreveport, Monroe, and Ruston treat as well. So it is common enough to uh, get the word out um, so that it's at least in the thought processes of doctors, maybe not first off, but uh, down the line if, if things don't exactly fit um, in other more common uh, diseases. Yeah, and that's good to know, and that's why I love having these conversations too, at least getting it out there and planting the seeds and putting out there that this could be a possibility when you connect the dots. And so while we're talking about the symptoms, and you talked about it is treatable sometimes if you catch it early enough, and so let's go over that again. What are the symptoms of giant cell arteritis? Well, what is happening, uh, Terry, on a microscopic level is that the white blood cells are behaving as if there's an enemy in the arteries to the head and neck. 
So the white blood cells will migrate into those arteries and the symptoms will be uh, pain uh, in, in um, the head and neck. It might be a headache, uh, headache type pain, but it's an unusual headache. It's more right where uh, an artery is on the side of our scalp called our temporal artery. Um, it might be pain in our jaw uh, that uh, is, uh, and, and the person will be painful to touch if they put their glasses on and if they just graze past their temporal arteries they'll say, gee, that's an unusual headache. That's not like any headache I've ever had before. They may have pain in their jaw when they're talking, pain in the jaw when they're chewing uh, something like an apple or uh, something of that nature. Um, and sometimes they might get fleeting um, uh, dark spots in front of one eye or fleeting blindness uh, that might be similar to that of a stroke. And indeed, it is this inflammatory process threatening to cause a stroke. Well, that definitely does sound challenging, Dr. Goodman. So how is giant cell arteritis diagnosed? Well, giant cell arteritis is suspected by uh, doctors thinking about these things that you and I have been talking about, Terry. They may then do a lab test. The blood test is called a sedimentation rate, which is a primitive, it's a, it's a hundred year old lab test that um, uh, will be very high and it is a marker of inflammation. The normal sedimentation rate or sed rate will be uh, from 0 to 20 and uh, a sedimentation rate of 80 or 100 coupled with these symptoms that we've been talking about can be very suggestive of temporal arteritis or giant cell arteritis, especially in that older patient, patient over 70, uh, women but men as well, generally uh, of uh, Scandinavian, Northern European uh, descent. Um, and then it would be diagnosed by uh, the uh, doctor would then try to get a piece of the artery and um, a, an artery uh, right here where I'm pointing in the temple is a key artery that can be biopsied. Uh, the pathologist would look at it under the microscope, but when I'm um, uh, doing this and that's suspicious, I'll get the biopsy and then I'll put them on steroids uh, to try to diminish the inflammation even before the pathologist comes back and if the pathologist comes back and says it's not uh, temporal arteritis then we might go in a different direction but if he says it is temporal arteritis we were already two or three or four days into the treatment and we can really push back hard on that inflammatory process to preserve the vision to the eyes and preserve the vision to um, the head and neck. So come, someone has the symptoms, they come in right away, they're diagnosed, and, and then do you look at just the, the individual and the different levels, how quickly they came in, if they come in and it's progressed? I mean, how fast does this progress in someone when they finally come in and want to be diagnosed? Um, it's like many autoimmune diseases, it's very uneven, Terry. Uh, uh, some people can progress uh, very quickly and other people, they might not um, go on to have a, a, a vision threatening event or um, a threatening event of a stroke for weeks or months on end. So we don't know, we don't know how, how to identify those patients. So, but what we would want to do is put them on steroids uh, and uh, quiet down this inflammatory process. And uh, that would preserve or decrease that inflammation to that artery so that the artery is not shrinking down and closing off uh, the uh, blood flow to the eye or the blood flow to the brain uh, to try to help preserve uh, the person's vision or help prevent a stroke. 
And then as we have quieted down that inflammation uh, with a few weeks of the steroids, we would be slowly tapering down on the steroids and uh, going in a different direction because steroids, as all doctors know, and, and most of our viewers know, have a lot of side effects. In the case of early giant cell arteritis, the benefits of steroids outweigh the side effects. But as we get into several weeks or months into treatment, uh, rheumatologists and other doctors, ophthalmologists, head and neck doctors will all be trying to move away from steroids and perhaps use a steroid sparing medication. Um, and a few years ago, uh, a medication that had been previously approved by the Food and Drug Administration for rheumatoid arthritis was also found to be particularly good for giant cell arteritis. That medicine is called Actemra, um, and it um, is a, a given in two ways, in an injection that the patient would administer themselves or an infusion that the patient might go to an infusion center to get um, to push back on that immune system, push back on the formation of those giant cells and the inflammation inside the arteries to try to preserve vision of these patients. Um, and it's been a, a very successful uh, treatment approach and, addition, and a good addition to our armamentarium in treating uh, giant cell arteritis. Okay, and I know we talked about the new treatment. Is that the new treatment that we were talking about that, for giant cell arteritis? New, <laughs> um, and the way it works, it blocks a, um, a chemical in the immune system called interleukin-6. And in this area of um, immunology, the communicating proteins between one group of white blood cells and another group of white blood cells, the white blood cells are called leukocytes, and so a communicating protein might be called an interleukin. And it happens to be that the sixth interleukin, or interleukin-6, or IL-6, um, uh, tended to be an important protein in causing the inflammation of giant cell arteritis. Uh, back 15 or 20 years ago, uh, doctors would do stains on these biopsy materials from somebody's temporal artery who had giant cell arteritis, and they would see, we have a new stain for interleukin-6, and oh my gosh, there's a lot of interleukin-6 in that biopsy. And so the thought, that thought process would be in 10 years or 15 years when we get an interleukin-6 blocker, it might be a good treatment for giant cell arteritis. And lo and behold, that happened later on. An interleukin, a class of medicines, they might be the second generation of biologic medicines was approved for rheumatoid arthritis, was um, the interleukin-6 blockers, and they got an indication for rheumatoid arthritis uh, in about 2006 and 2007. And then in about 2011, the interleukin-6 blockers got an indication for giant cell arteritis. So this was previously an orphan disease, which means the FDA had never approved any medicine for it, but it's uh, now benefiting from research in a more common disease, rheumatoid arthritis, and um, that benefit is we now have better treatments to preserve the vision and to prevent a stroke uh, in these patients that are, are at risk. Okay, and, and besides rheumatoid arthritis, are there other diseases? We kind of talked about that or hinted that there are other diseases that might be related to this or that it can turn into. What's the relationship? 
Well, uh, there is another disease that is much more commonly related to giant cell arteritis. And that disease, and I think we've talked about it in other uh, Healthline 3 segments in the past several months, and that other disease is called polymyalgia rheumatica, uh, often abbreviated PMR. And polymyalgia rheumatica um, is an arthritis of the shoulders and hips. Uh, it is seven or eight times more common than giant cell arteritis, and it too affects that same group of people. It affects women more than men. It affects uh, people over uh, their 70s, usually 80s or 90s, um, and it can cause that severe pain in the shoulders, severe pain in the hips, and feeling very stiff. You have this um, uh, lady who is uh, the pillar of her church. She's always at uh, Sunday school. She's always active in her community um, and she's um, 80 years old and she gradually gets pain in her shoulders and hips or really suddenly gets pain in her shoulders and hips and it feels like she has the flu that just never went away or maybe did she have COVID-19 and just never recovered but they, uh, they continue to have uh, inflammation in the shoulders and inflammation in the hips called polymyalgia rheumatica and some of those patients, uh, their disease can spread and cause giant cell arteritis as well. Okay, and you bring up a good point too. We always have to talk about, or we get to talk about COVID-19 with these discussions. They're so educational and, and new questions come up all the time. Do you find that some people are, if they did have COVID or if they've been around it, that they might have symptoms of something else, but they're saying, oh, I think it's just left over from when I had COVID. Is it? Is it a concern that we might fall back on that and, and not pay attention to other symptoms in our body? Well, that is a concern, uh, and that's why we, you know, continue to uh, ask other questions. Polymyalgia rheumatica giant, and giant cell arteritis certainly have been present uh, in uh, causing human suffering at least since the 1950s that we could discover. And um, PMR and giant cell arteritis has a trigger, an immunologic trigger. Uh, maybe in the 1950s it was influenza, maybe in the 1970s it was uh, mononucleosis, which is the Epstein-Barr virus. Maybe in the 1990s it was another virus called parvovirus. And maybe in 2019 through 2022, uh, that a trigger to develop polymyalgia rheumatica or to develop giant cell arteritis might be um, yet another trigger might be COVID-19, but that's research that's ongoing now and we'll get some answers uh, to that kind of research in the next few years. But it's certainly, uh, we know that many autoimmune diseases are triggered by the immune system responding to something in the environment, usually a virus or a, a bacterial illness. And in 99% of people, uh, their immune system uh, vanquishes the virus or vanquishes the bacteria. And the immune system gets the message, oh, I've defeated COVID-19. I've defeated um, uh, influenza. I've defeated mononucleosis. I need to stop and turn my immunologic attack off. But in a few people, maybe one person in 100 with rheumatoid arthritis, maybe one person in 800 or 500 with polymyalgia rheumatica, and maybe one person in 3,000 with giant cell arteritis, it keeps on with this continuous autoimmune attack that can 
cause inflammation in the inner lining of the arteries to the head and neck and cause inflammation that can cut off the arteries to the eye, cut off the arteries to the brain and cause significant problems. And if we can, if we can be aware of that possibility, then we can help patients uh, better uh, in, uh, today uh, by greater awareness, awareness and also better tools to treat this disease. Better awareness and better tools, that's right. Do, is there research being done now about how COVID might affect, especially when I talk to you, Dr. Goodman, and we talk about all of these, these, these conditions that are so important and the circulation and the inflammatory um, process and the conditions that are going on in the body. Is there research being done about how COVID might have specifically affected inflammatory diseases and, and arthritis oh. and things like this? Terry, uh, absolutely. At uh, the seminars that I've gone to uh, in my discipline of rheumatology, and I'm sure in infectious disease doctors and other doctors as well, uh, pulmonary doctors as well, um, uh, but rheumatologists are focusing more and more attention on could COVID-19 be a trigger for uh, many of our diseases? And there's varying research. Some diseases, it's maybe very clear, um, uh, a disease that affects children more than adults that is called um, uh, systemic juvenile uh, inflammatory arthritis or systemic JIA. It's also called Stills disease. Uh, seems to be one of those diseases that we're seeing quite a bit of evidence that long COVID, some features of what pe people call long COVID might be tied in with Stills disease. There's active research at the University of Alabama in Birmingham, um, and the Department of Pediatric Rheumatology is looking at exactly that question, and many others uh, as well. And um, as I go to our seminars, um, 20, 30, 35, or 40% of the lectures are on exactly what you're talking about. Can, what can COVID teach us about immunology and rheumatology? Um, and um, uh, what can we do to make people's lives better so that if we get the next pandemic or the next epidemic, that we can handle it even better than we did with COVID-19. It's gotta be a very exciting time for your profession, for everyone involved in the medical profession right now to figure out what this means and what it can do. And right now we have a caller for you, Mary. What is your question for Dr. Goodman? Hello, Mary. Well, hello, Dr. Goodman, how are you? Good, how are you? My, good, my question is, I don't have this pain until I go to bed at night and I wake up at the back part of my neck, uh, not on my shoulder, but the back part of my neck on both sides, left and right. Sometimes it might be on the left side, sometimes it might be on the right side. Then it might go to the top of my, my head. Uh, Mary, is your uh, pain worse at the end of the day or at the beginning of the day? At the end of the day, I like now my door's working. So as long as I'm constantly moving, I'm fine. But once I lay down and go to sleep and get ready to wake up, that's when I have my pain. Well, Mary, I'm glad you called because this is allows uh, us to illustrate the difference between uh, pain that might be mechanical uh, and pain that might be inflammatory. Mary, uh, and to all of our other viewers, mechanical arthritic pain me mechanical musculoskeletal pain is worse at the end of the day, worse when somebody's been very active, maybe they've been at work and they're trying to lay down and go to bed. It's also worse when they're in a certain position. Inflammatory back pain 
uh, inflammatory pain in general is worse when a person uh, at the beginning of the day. So the person with giant cell arteritis, the person with polymyalgia rheumatica might notice neck or back pain like you're experiencing, but their neck or back pain would be most, most intense when they first get up in the morning. But I hope that's helpful to you, Mary. Thanks for the call. Okay, thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Mary. Thank you so much for calling. And so again, what is the prognosis for individuals with giant cell arteritis? Well, the prognosis for individuals with giant cell arteritis, uh, if they, if it is recognized uh, and they are treated with steroids and maybe with Actemra or some of these other medicines to push back on the immune system, the chance of getting a stroke untreated or getting blindness untreated was thought to be about 15% in the next three years. The chance of getting a stroke or blindness if they are on any kind of treatment, and this was some research out of Vanderbilt University, was it drops from 15%, which is about one person in seven or one person in eight with giant cell arteritis, to about a half of 1% or one person in 200. So from one person in seven, to improving to one person in 200 to having uh, a, a stroke or uh, blindness. Oh, so my it's a goodness. drop in treatment. That is if significant. We recognize it. Wow, okay. And Dr. Evan, we have another caller for you. We have Dottie on the line. Hello, Dottie. Hello, how are you today? Good, Dottie. I have a question. I have been diagnosed with sarcoidosis, and I see we talk about a lot of the immune disease but I never hear anything about sarcoidosis. So I'm really concerned, is sarcoidosis connected with the new disease that you're talking about now, with the giant cell? Dottie, uh, thanks you for calling, because sarcoidosis is about as common as giant cell arteritis. And sarcoidosis, um, where is, does sarcoidosis affect you, Dottie? It affects me in my legs, my skin, uh -huh. And also my lungs. Uh, thank you for that call. You're a very typical patient with sarcoidosis. And um, Terry, and for our other viewers, sarcoidosis is another autoimmune disease that is about as common as giant cell arteritis. And um, it um, is an autoimmune disease as well. Many times they will have pulmonary problems like Dottie is describing. And so they may go see their pulmonary doctor first or a rheumatologist may get involved in it later. Sarcoidosis is an autoimmune disease that is often treated with steroids, just like giant cell arteritis, um, and, but um, it uh, often can be treated with medicines, not the interleukin-6 blockers, but the thinking is that the tumor necrosis factor blockers, which are the first tier, the first generation of biologics that came on the market like Humira, like Remicade, like Enbrel can be very helpful for sarcoidosis uh, as well as initially the steroids as well. But thanks Dottie for that call because that illustrates yes giant cell arteritis is a less common autoimmune disease that does respond to some of the same medicines we treat with rheumatoid arthritis and it affects the arteries of the head and neck. Sarcoidosis, a different autoimmune disease, uh, affects the uh, um, air sacs and the bronchioles 
in our lungs. And both of them yeah. can be, if not controlled, uh, can be catastrophic and cause uh, significant uh, illnesses. I hope that's helpful to you, Dottie. Yes, it is. It gives me a little bit more information so far as asking about the other medication because I have been on steroids, but it seems that since I've been diagnosed that it's not doing anything right now because the inflammation is really severe. And, and so sometimes pulmonary doctors might uh, be working with uh, rheumatologists, and if you have inflammation not only in the lungs but inflammation in the joints, then uh, sometimes uh, we might use medicines that are used typically to treat rheumatoid arthritis or medicines that are trip, uh, uh, such as uh, a medicine called methotrexate is sometimes used as an add-on medicine, as a steroid sparing medicine for sarcoidosis. And sometimes the TNF blockers, uh, the medicines like uh, Enbrel and Humira and Remicade can be dramatically helpful for sarcoidosis. And um, working, having a pulmonary doctor work with a rheumatologist um, can get you to, many times, the patient with sarcoid to a better place. All right, Thanks, thank Doc, you. Thanks for that call. Yes, thank you so much for calling. Didn't mean to interrupt you there, Dr. Goodman. Well, thank you so much for being here again. This has been a wonderful Healthline 3 and so educational. We thank you for your time, and we'll see you again next month. Well, thank you. Thank you. And everyone, thank you for watching Healthline 3 today. Take care, and we will see you next time.